If you've been listening to the Business of Biotech podcast for a while now, you'll recall that Aaron Harris has joined me to co-host a few episodes. Aaron's my friend, colleague, and chief editor over at sellandgene.com, and she just recently launched a podcast of her own. It's aptly named Sell and Gene, the podcast. And if you're working in the Sell and Gene space, you should give it a listen. It's a collection of interviews with the industry and academic leaders moving the space forward. And you can find it at sellandgene.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sell and Gene, the podcast. Check it out. A while back, I wrote a story for Bioprocess Online about a new company that's anchoring a biotech investment surge in Columbus, Ohio. The company is called Forge Biologics, and its co-founder, president, and CEO is a man named Dr. Timothy Miller. Forge is a unique play in that Dr. Miller, a microbiologist turned biotech entrepreneur, founded the company on the mission to develop biologic therapies for infantile crab A disease. But to fund that endeavor, he and his co-founders decided to offer biopharmaceutical CDMO services. Today, the company aims to become one of the world's largest biologics contract development and manufacturing companies. For his part, Dr. Miller is no stranger to emerging biotech leadership. After earning his BS and MS in molecular biology at John Carroll and a PhD in pharmacology and molecular biology at Case Western, he began his career as a scientist at Copernicus Therapeutics and senior scientist at Juventus Therapeutics. Then he took the product development lead at Serone RX Therapeutics, moved on to serve as president and CSO, as well as president and CEO at Abiona Therapeutics, and then president and CEO at Gene Therapy Company before launching Forge Biologics in 2020. I'm Matt Piller, and on today's episode of the Business of Biotech, we are going to learn about Forge and Dr. Miller, and we're going to dig uh, deep into a discussion on the contract biologics development and manufacturing crunch and how to navigate it. This is quite the, quite the intro there, Dr. Miller. It's great to see you again, and welcome to the show. Matt, thanks for having me back. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So as I alluded to uh, in my in my long-winded intro of your your background uh, and 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 where you came from, you're first and foremost a biologics therapy uh, developer and innovator. You're you were you were that before you were the leader of a of a CDMO. Um, and, and it's an interesting story. The way I understand it, you were motivated to build this CDMO company uh, by you know by virtue of the fact that you wanted to develop and, and innovate a, a, a biologic approach to uh, infantile crab, crab A disease. So tell us that story. Let's, let's, uh, let's hear the genesis from, from your own mouth. Yeah, no, thanks for that. It's, um, it's been an interesting road to get here. And uh, it's been fun to watch the gene insult therapy space, particularly grow since the 2013, 2014 timeframe, when you really started to see a real big uptick and uh, we'll talk a little bit later, maybe about some of the, like we think about the IPO classes of 2015 to 2018 and how that impacted. But you know, really the story began out of a desire to really find novel therapies and provide them to patients in need, right? There are over 7,000 rare diseases and that number continues to grow. And 90 plus percent of them are ones that do not have a therapy that's in development. And when you couple that with the ones that are in development, that manufacturing for, um, you know, gene novel gene therapies is in such high demand. Um, and really, uh, especially in today's world over the past two years in competition, right, with COVID manufacturing, because a lot of the biologics manufacturing and raw materials and resources have been taken up for to really meet the supply for the pandemic. Right. 
it makes for a very interesting crunch on the CDMO space. And our origin story, a lot of us were therapeutics developers. Many of us had built out um, manufacturing for gene therapy centers in, in our past. And we said, well, what if we meld the two and uh, you know, we were able to use a, you know, basically help a lot of our colleagues develop and manufacture their drugs that they need to have manufactured as well, be, being able to manufacture our own. And there are a lot of synergies that go with that, right? Because now we can control our own manufacturing for our own pipeline. That's a huge, um, huge cost savings. But when we think about it, what's the most critical element in this story? It's how we think about time. And time being the enemy of for patients, it's for the enemy for investors, it's, for the, it's the enemy for, for companies. So that's really, you know, how we started, we thought about this was, can we figure out a way to help everyone capitalize and save time? It's fascinating when I, like, when I, when I think about what those meetings must have looked like, you know, between you and your co-founders, uh, you know, w- was there sort of a white whiteboard approach where you went, okay, look. Like we want to develop this pipeline. Uh, yeah, you know, if, it, if it's helpful, I can uh, I can send you a picture of one of our first planning sessions in oh, our in our office space that's got stickies all over the wall, right? Of how we're thinking about the idea sessions and you know what's important, the values for the company, ideas we wanted to go down. You know, um, that actually was really, I mean, literally uh, on the first week that we found our building that we wanted to go in and basically renovate to make into the CDMOs uh, into the hearth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'd be cool. Was it a conscious, did there come a point where there's this, this, this conscious decision, we do not want to pursue our pipeline in the traditional manner of like, let's go out there and spend, you know, pound the pavement, raise, raise the money, focus specifically on the Was there a point where there was this conscious decision, we're going to create uh, you know, manufacturing space and, and effectively uh, in development space and, and rent out our expertise. Yeah, you know, the I think the importance around that was really the size of scale. And when we think about, you know, having two or three or maybe four uh, products in a pipeline, you can often control the manufacturing for that in-house to a point, right? Especially if you're in an eye, you know, there's a huge difference. It can be a thousand fold or more difference in the amount of virus that you have to make or amount of drug that you have to make, whether you're going in for an eye therapy versus something that's going into muscle or, you know, into something that needs to get all throughout the body. So when you think about the scale, and if you've got just a couple of pipeline products, you quickly surpass your internal capabilities to be able to develop that farther. Mm -hmm. It's why you're seeing so much energy and so many, so much dollars, investment dollars being put into, Hey, to basically meet the FDA's statement of we expect to see 20 to 25 therapies you know, in 2025, to be able to get through a year to get through that, you're going to need to basically build out the supply chain in the manufacturing. For sure. Yeah. At the same time, um, you know, because of that, right, because of that mandate, if you will, and because of just the pace of innovation and the volume of innovation in biologics, it's, it's kind of easy to see that having some premium CDMO space is a sound business bet. You know, if you build it, they're going to come. Um, but to but to create that space, you know, I've I've got to imagine that it's a very capital intensive uh, project, right? Like more more so in in many ways. I mean, it's more capital intensive than uh, than launching a, a, a you know a biopharma per se. So so tell me about that. Like, what was what what was the approach there? 
Yeah, so a lot of biofarmers will start right, virtual, right? Um, when you're thinking about a, a contract manufacturing facility, you've got to have basically uh, a building <laughs> to be able to do that. And as we you know, think about how you do that, there are two main ways. You can go and do a greenfield build out, um, which is super capital intensive and takes, again, time, right? We'll come back to that theme of time throughout this discussion, but... Um, or you can find a building that's already built um, that has certain predefined characteristics that you want um, in a particularly a gene therapy manufacturing organization. And so we looked um, around the Columbus area uh, for at probably 20 or 25 buildings um, and uh, finally found one that met all of our needs. And uh, it's, a, it's beautiful. It's 175,000 square feet right now. It'll be closer to 200,000 when we build out another floor or two. Um, but right now, uh, we've spent the past year since the Series A uh, building out the GMP facility. And again, we can talk you know, more down that as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we covered some of this in the article, but, uh, but, but I want to touch on it here, too, for the folks who, who, uh, who didn't see that. Columbus, uh, it, it's an interesting... It's a, so from my perspective, I think I may have mentioned this to you last time we talked. I live four plus hours away from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, my wife still finds cause to drive out there on several occasions throughout the year to go shopping because there's a, you know, it's, it's, it's known Columbus is known for its retail headquartership. I mm -hmm. mean, it's a, it's a shopping Mecca, if you will. Uh, the biotech space there's relatively, the growth there is relatively new there. Um, why was Columbus a good fit for, uh, for a, a Rochester native? <laughs> uh, you know, did you know that, uh, within a few hundred miles of Columbus is 50% of the U S population? I mean, I, I guess it makes sense. Yep. And uh, Columbus is a huge growth uh, environment. Uh, it's seen some of the uh, largest and fastest growth growth in uh, in the past five years for biotech. And, uh, you know, it's certainly it's home of drive capital. Um, the uh, population is generally very well educated, uh, you know, with a lot of the uh, I think a third of the population has a bachelor's degree or higher. And, um, you know, as we just think about the investment dollars that are coming in, with Drive, you know, having over a billion dollars under management, they're the largest Midwest VC group, and uh, and they wanted to come in and back forge. So when you couple a lot of these factors, in addition to being tied to, you know, nationwide, uh, you know, Ohio State, um, and just really just between Cleveland and Cincinnati, huge ability to bring in workforce, which is um, you know one of the key things that a, a manufacturing company needs. Yep. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I want to I want to stick with funding real quick because you you mentioned Drive and you mentioned your Series A. Uh, is is there a distinction between like when you when you in this hybrid model that you're in when you go out and you're seeking funding and you're winning that Series A, for instance, is there a distinction that has to be made between uh, funding for the the therapeutic that you're developing in your pipeline and funding for the the manufacturing capacity that may or may not be outsourced to you know other other colleagues in the space or you know, or, or is the therapeutic just kind of like uh, being funded by your own your own internal revenue? One of the really fun things about Forge is the model that we operate under. So we operate under what's called the hub and spoke model. Mm -hmm. So you have, uh, if you think of this as a as a kind of a flow chart at the top, you have a private LLC um, that gets all of the funding. So all the funding comes in and just basically holds the money. Um, and then that is pushed downstairs into what are what our subsidiaries, which are C corps. 
And so, um, you know, we have a, a choice and we review with the board, you know, every quarter and of course every year, just how we're, you know, pushing um, spend, you know, into the subs. The company is 90% focused on the CDMO space. Um, and because again, we control our own manufacturing, you know, we remove 50% of the cost roughly of a typical therapeutic development path through clinical trials. So you can do this and you can repeat, you know, rinse and repeat, you know, for each one of these therapeutics and allows you to expand the pipeline a bit faster. It allows you to um, manage that virtually because again, you manage through service contracts across the subs. Um, but all of the employees sit within the CDMO of Forge Biologics. And we have a new cycle that we're rolling out later this year where we will announce some of the subsidiaries. Um, and one of them, you know, contains our Crab A asset, which we publicly announced. So it's a really neat way to go about it because, because you enable um, multiple financial strategies. You can right. fund at the subsidiary level, right? Um, but from a manufacturing perspective, and we focus on our clients first, and we kind of fit our pipeline in and around. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. So let's talk about that, uh, the, the, the CDMO capacity crunch that, that, uh, that I mentioned we wanted to get to. And I'm, I'm curious about your just take on, as I mentioned from the outset, I mean, it, it seems like a safe bet, right? All signs are pointing to, we, you know, we don't have enough space to develop uh, the, 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 the promise of biologics. Um, from your perspective, I don't, I don't expect you to, you know, be a, a Wikipedia page on, uh, you know, out, outsource capacity, but just how short are we coming up right now? Well, you know, you, you, I want to focus, you said something really important there, right? The promise of biologics, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to point out how, uh, how COVID and how science behind making, you know, the COVID vaccines have really pushed um, uh, the importance of things like gene therapy, because at the end it's a, a type of gene therapy, into the for, uh, public forefront, right? Into the uh, into the public conscience, and just you know, people have heard for months now about the manufacturing crunch and demands that you know they've only been able to make so many vaccines, you know, per you know per day per week to be able to give out. Um, from our perspective. Uh, even in gene therapies, uh, that has had an impact. Many of the uh, bioreactors and contract development companies have had their, essentially a lot of their facilities co-opted to be able to make, you know, vaccines. So, but as it relates to, um, you know, that capacity crunch as a CDMO, we'll talk about, think about it from this perspective. So when you sit down and got presumably a, a your COVID vaccine shot, you know, it, it took about, you know, what, five seconds and, you know, they injected a few hundred microliters in mm-hmm. to give a patient, to give an adult patient, okay. That same level of dose for a gene therapy, okay. To be able to treat, you know, not just a rare disease, but even something like, you know, hemophilia um, to, to be able to treat something like that, you'd have to sit down and get that same shot about 2000 times a day for a year. Okay. And that's to treat one patient. 
So think about that from the number of bioreactors that you need to actually have to be able to treat, you know, patients that, you know, around the world for a particular patient population. But when you add that in and thinking about the amount of pipeline, you know, if you've got four, five, 10 programs, it's a huge demand on your space. You know, so it's not just about the cost, it's just simply about the the footprint that you have to put those bioreactors in, the scale that you've got them in, and really probably the most important point is the people to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great segue uh, because I wanted to ask you about the kind of interrelation between uh, footprint f- footprint capacity uh, shortfall and 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 people. Um, you know, and again, I, it's 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 interesting to me that you're in Columbus and people being a, such an important uh, part of the equation. Um, I guess I'll make this a, a, a sort of a, a multi-part question. Um, what is the expertise? What does the expertise shortfall look like? How is that solved? And how are, how are you guys solving that in Columbus? Well, we, we recently announced a uh, workforce development partnership with Case Western Reserve University, um, where we are working with them um, due to the excellent leadership up in Cleveland at Case um, to implement a GMP or a good manufacturing practice, uh, essentially, I don't want to say certification, but training program where people can enroll in the program. Um, It's an eight to 10 week program with an add-on course at the end. And it teaches you the basics of how to work in an extremely clean environment. So full gowning, basic, you know, uh, sterile technique, some um, hands-on assay work. And, uh, you know, we are working with them so that people that complete the course and pass the, you know, the test at the end, get an interview at, at Forge. So, you know, we see this as a turn cycle where we're building an ecosystem in the Midwest, particularly in Ohio, um, to continue to build that workforce. Forge is currently at about 115 employees. When we finished the Series A, we had four people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in a year, you know, raised 160 million and um, um, built a workforce of 115 people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want that to get lost on on our audience. As I said in the intro, founded in 2020. I mean, it's incredible, (laughs) incredible growth already. Yeah, raising a yeah, raising a hundred and sixty million dollars in a pandemic was not uh, forecasted uh, that particular way. Uh, not uh, it was certainly an interesting experience, something a little new. But um, I think one of the most fun things about building the company has been more than fifty percent. I think of the company has has basically been a referral for, or worked with a previous colleague. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that came into Forge that. Um, you know, wanted to work with some previous colleagues again. And that's important in gene and cell therapy because the manufacturing expertise is a rare commodity. And you can go online to any one of the therapeutics companies that's got some manufacturing, you know, just look at all the jobs that are open. It's a sure. huge need in the space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, I want to invite you to get back to the uh, theme that you mentioned earlier around time uh, and, and share with me just how important uh, CDMO capacity is for emerging biopharmas, you know, entering, entering the clinic, moving into, you know, mid, mid-stage clinicals. Um, how, how important is the CDMO relationship in terms of speed of development and speed to clinic? Uh, it's critical. You know, many uh, therapeutics companies and pure play therapeutics companies are founded on the science, right? Um, and the promise of the science to help patients um, but you, you have to manufacture it. So going to a manufacturer that has really um, done it before, um, both at the small scale, but also uh, you know converting and scaling up to something that's larger. There are many academic facilities that can make and labs that can make things at the very small scale, right? A petri dish or a couple of petri dishes worth of worth of virus. 
when you put it in a bioreactor and you need to scale it um, in a way that the FDA or the EMA, right, um, find appropriate to get into a clinical trial setting, um, that's a significant challenge. And developing those relationships very early on um, is what makes a company successful for the manufacturing down the long haul. And important to point out that the FDA really looks at this as a partnership to try to work through, but at the same time, the bar has risen over the past five years on what the FDA and EMA are looking at manufacturing from a gene therapy perspective. Mm -hmm. And so from our side, we've sat on that side of the table, right? As therapeutics developers, and now also as manufacturing partners are able to help a lot of our clients with that, um, that thought process. So developing that relationship early is really, really important. Yeah. Okay. It just occurred to me that I've got a, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with analogies. My wife will tell you, my, my analogies are terrible. I, I think I just came up with a good one though, that'll really resonate with you. And it's in relation to, uh, to, to COVID. You mentioned the, the, the COVID vaccine has played uh, a very important role in, you know, the speed of development of manufacturing capacity, right? Like the, the awareness uh, of the power of biologics. But so you're, you're from Rochester. I, I'm, I grew up in Buffalo. Uh, I kind of liken it to a, a snow plow, right? Like, okay, so here, bear with me here. <laughs> you got a snow plow and it's, and it's pushing snow, right? It's pushing snow. And behind that snow plow is a whole bunch of traffic. And they recognize the importance of that snow plow. It's got to get the snow out of the road, right? It's doing a very important work. But that traffic wants to move faster. They want to get around that snow plow. So as it relates to CDMO space, this just came, this, I just, I, it just, just came to me on the spot. As it relates to the CDMO space, right? The waiting game is something we hear all the time, right? We talk to new and emerging, nimble, agile. You know, it's part of their culture. These, these biofarmers want to move quick and they're nimble and they're agile. But they get to this CDMO stage and it's like the wheels just come to, to, to a grind. There are those cars that want to get around the snowplow and the snowplow is kind of held up by the snow, which is like, in our case, maybe COVID, right? Like there's a lot of capacity that's being uh, consumed by COVID. Um, terrible analogy? Great analogy. Great oh, analogy. Thank you. Great analogy. And, uh, you know, there's some important things about that analogy, though, that, that you think about, right? One is, um, you know, how big is the road and how wide is it? Right. And that's actually a great analogy when you think about um, the capacity of some manufacturers, right? Because some you're walking down a small thing, you're, you're trying to get behind that snowplow. It's a single lane. Mm-hmm. Right. And on others for our larger manufacturers, you know, you may have other lanes that are open because they're just plowing that one lane. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, you know, that, that throughput, that capacity is an important reflection, I think, on uh, in an analogy of uh just how you think about CDMOs and we can keep going down this rabbit hole and talk about the salt that's coming out, you know, oh. the quality of the salt that's coming out the back. I mean, that's an important thing when you think about the analytical development, you know? So, I mean, we can keep going down the, the snowplow analogy uh, as much as you want and be careful because I'm an analogy guy and I will drop star Wars references on you. Okay. Oh, that's analogy. all right. That's all right. All Listen, I feel, I feel good. I feel a little bit vindicated because you know, you, you know, you dropped a good analogy when, when someone who's a lot smarter than you can build on your analogy and make it even better. So thank you. No, it's, it's, I, th- I think it is uh it, it's uh it's an interesting point though. And I think, um, you know, uh, maybe this is where the salt analogy comes in. When you, when you reach that, you know, ready for a CDMO level, there are a lot of options or even, even before that, right? Like uh, way, way preclinical discovery stage, you have a lot of options for partnership. 
And it occurs to me, uh, you know, I'm relatively new to the space, but even in the past 12 months, it, it feels like anecdotally that a lot of those options are kind of morphing together, right? Like it used to be pretty clear cut distinctions between incubators and, you know, translational centers and CDMOs and CMOs and CROs. They all kind of had their own lane. I see more of that kind of, uh, more of those services kind of coming together earlier, perhaps. What's your take on that? Well, it's a, it's an important aspect because um, again, we come back to some of the regulatory requirements now that uh, when you do something at the discovery stage, you know you're often in one process. You know you might be on what's called an adherent or a fixed bed type of growth, um, and then you need to scale that up to something much bigger um, to get into a clinical trial, and that becomes a suspension process. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to show compatibility or comparability between those two, basically the lot that was made at a discovery side in one process and a, and something that's bigger and clinical in a different process. So not many academic manufacturers can bridge, you know, a client's um, or a therapeutics program. Forge can do that. And in fact, our process, we have a Blaze production center that uses the same cell line, the same process, same facility, can use that all the way through up and through your clinical and then commercial development. So you're starting to see a little bit of that, I think, in the space, um, but um, it's one of the things that we really, because many of us have that pain point in uh, some of our regulatory interactions, said we can solve that right out of the gate. You know, and there's one important you know, thing about that, too, and we're talking about cells, right, cells that actually end up making these, you know, these products. And many academic facilities and some CROs, the cell line story is an important one, mm-hmm. okay, because you want to be able to take that all the way through your clinical to commercial process. Many academic facilities have a cell line that's got a black box or origin, black box origin that the FDA has said you can't take that cell line in that process to commercial. You can do that here at Forge. And so again, when you think about establishing that type of basis with a, you know, how can a client, how can a group that's developing a therapeutics early take, you know, get set themselves up for success very early? That's one of the key parameters. Yeah, yeah. If I were, uh, it. it, it so let, let's say I'm a biopharma and I'm at a point where I, it's going to make strategic sense for me to uh, partner with a company like Forge. And I were to come to you and, um, you know, we, we were, we were some simpatico, right? Like we, 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 what I was developing was well within your wheelhouse. You had the capacity or potentially had the capacity. Um, what, what does the, 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 the wait time, if you will, look like right now? Yeah, we talk about um, we talk about cues a lot at different groups, and um, you know we think of uh, you know the emerging CDMOs and the existing, and then some of the premium. You know, a lot of the premium uh, CDMOs have their cues backed up into mid to late 2022 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Forge as a existing, we've kind of moved out of the emerging and into the existing groups. You know, we have capacity now that we can take people in Q4 and already planning into Q1 and Q2 for 2022. So we can take clients now, you know, I mean, we're in probably over two dozen discussions right now. It takes a while to work through a lot of the paperwork and, you know, the selection process. But, um, you know, we have capacity now and can take clients. Usually the conversation starts with a, tell us about your timeline. You know, talk talk to us about, you know, your plasma DNA, the stuff that makes the viruses or stuff like how's your regulatory interactions going? Mm-hmm. You know, we often get, we offer as a service to help out with that too. Yep. Okay. What is the, um, what is the, uh, the, the appropriate time for uh, a biopharma to, uh, to, to engage with, with, with you? I mean, or is there, 
Is that too, I'm sure there are a lot of variables, but. Well, I'm going to bring it back to your snowplow analogy and say uh, the time was when you were starting to look at the weather forecast and okay. uh, saw that there was some snow coming in when you need to think about, you know, hey, I need to get from A to B. Didn't want to be behind a snowplow. Right. So, you know, I, I think that you want to talk to any of the companies that are doing CDMO functions, you know, early in your program development. Mm-hmm. What what's the key to you know you you mentioned looking at the forecast and I I think you know uh, eighteen months ago looking at the forecast pro- probably wouldn't have done you much good because nobody forecasted what what was coming right nobody nobody saw that <laughs> nobody saw that front come, coming down the road um, under more normal operating circumstances what are some indicators that you know. Uh, there, there might be some capacity crunch coming, or there might be something to look forward to, uh, or look out for that is that, that might preclude me from, you know, a, a timely engagement with a CDMO. Well, often people get stuck in preclinical development, you know, they're trying to figure out, um, you know, the safety profile, um, and the correct dosing that, um, that needs to be for their patient population. And probably the best analogy that you can draw back to is, is really, we'll go back to the COVID vaccine stories, right? I mean, they FDA required them to be approved in adults first, older than 18, um, and then it moved into, you know, 12, I think 12 and up. Um, and now they're looking at under 12. Yep. Many, um, many programs in the gene and cell therapy space have to go through the same exact process. And, um, uh, you know, that's really, it still uh, can be a two, three, four year process to, uh, for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you anticipate that uh, that moving forward, the, um, the 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 capacity crunch will kind of uh, work itself out? Are we on pace at all to address uh, getting to where we need to be in terms of of having the space and expertise to to move forward? Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to um, uh, people, everyone getting vaccinated, and uh, there being essentially an opening in the supply chain of some of the things that went into the COVID manufacturing. Um, so I do think that that crunch, you know, is going to open up um, in the next, hopefully in the next six to eight months, mm-hmm. um, you know, but there's probably a corollary to that whole thing, Matt, that says, you know, look, we got a vaccine improved, you know, from clinical trial to, you know, commercialization in, in a year. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can do that. Okay. With a lot of the therapies that are under development for patients that have nothing else that are out there. What do you think is, uh, is, is key? Boy, you just opened yourself up to a great big giant question. What what are the keys to enabling that? I mean, I've had and I've had this conversation with multiple uh, folks over the past six or eight months. You know, where it's like, okay, we recognize that not every promising uh, therapy that's in phase three is going to get a a, an EUA, Uh, but there are lessons that we can take away from what's going on right now that could potentially expedite um, approvals and, and forward progress. What are some of those, from your perspective, what are some of those lessons uh, that, that might bear fruit post-COVID? Yeah, I think um, uh, frequent uh, interactions with the regulatory agencies is probably one of the biggest um, things that is helpful. You know, if and basically once things get set, um, that once they're agreed upon, that they, once they are met, the goalposts don't move, for example. Um, that can often be a challenge for many companies. You know, you do something that are asked for and, you know, you submit everything in and they say, that's great, but, you know, you've got to do a little bit more. And sometimes that's fair because new questions come up, right? I mean, it's science and, you know, science teaches us, you know, that, you know, you test the hypothesis and when you more data comes back in, you go back and you come up with more questions. But 
good and frequent interactions is probably the biggest place to start. Yep. Okay. All right. A couple more questions for you and then I'll let you off the hook. I'm curious, uh, given the the situation that you're in right now, building, building out, you know, uh, freshly and probably continuing, right. The, the, the build outs there, uh, in terms of manufacturing space, how, how are you seeing technology play a role in efficient creating efficiencies like new, new manufacturing technologies, new it, uh, you know, information technologies, how are they playing a role in creating efficiencies that are helping to address the, the capacity crunch that we're seeing? Um, there are many uh, from larger size bioreactors to new cell lines that are being created, or even some of the more raw materials that allow for safer and more efficient production capacity. You know, there's always, um, you know, the, the cool thing is that we're always watching for the development. Um, there are also new capsids. You know, so when we think about viruses, um, uh, the capsids, the shell that right encapsulates everything, um, new ones being developed that are better at targeting specific cell types. So what that functionally does is it means you can do it with a lower dose, which could be safer. And that way you can dose more people. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are coming together in the gene and cell therapy space to, to really augment the manufacturing capacity, but also the manufacturing need. Yep. Okay. What big problems remain to be addressed? Well, I mean, everybody has the uh, the question of scale, right? Uh, you know, building up to a 5,000 liter bioreactor, there's, I'm not sure if there's anybody in the world that's done that with uh, adeno-associated virus production capacity yet. So, you know, new bounds, um, new horizons ahead. And, uh, you know, again, trying to, um, trying to find better ways uh, to work with multiple groups um, at the same time. Um, it really just becomes, a, it also becomes a workforce development, you know, challenge that you want to make sure you've got a strong workforce. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Good. Well, uh, we're running short on time here, Dr. Miller. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to conclude with any, uh, any, any parting thoughts, uh, any pieces of wisdom, any big news coming out of forge, uh, update on a pipeline, whatever. I'll, I'll let you choose the, uh, the concluder. Uh, we've got a lot of, uh, fun things coming up. Um, you know, we have a, a big be the match event, uh, partnership that we're doing, um, that we'll talk about in the next few days, um, where, uh, you know, bone marrow transplant, particularly for patients with Crab A uh, disease, is a life-saving procedure, but they still progress. And uh, we're developing a novel, first of its kind in the world, um, approach that solves for both um, that. But bone marrow, but it still starts with bone marrow transplant. And uh, we'll put out some stuff in the next week or so that talks about that. And I look forward to sharing. Awesome. But thanks, Matt, for having me on. Really great uh, chatting with you and uh, love the questions. Oh, I'm glad, Dr. Miller. Sometimes, as I as I noted, I'm uh, I'm not a linear thinker, so thank you for uh, entertaining my my rambling and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, circumlocutus question set. Uh, but it's been a pleasure. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you. I look forward to the next time we have the opportunity to do so. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you. So that's Forge Biologics co-founder, president, and CEO, Dr. Tim Miller. I'm Matt Pillar, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva which demonstrates its commitment to new biopharma companies at its emerging biotech accelerator at scitivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Visit that for some great resources and please visit bioprocessonline.com where you can sign up for my newsletter. In the meantime, subscribe to the pod. If you like what you heard, give us five stars. And thanks for listening. 